What a joy to be able to speak with you today, Free Methodist Church. While we are missing being together, let us give the Lord praise for the technology we have to be able to connect in the ways that we can. Some of us might be zoomed out and others may have FaceTime fatigue, yet I am grateful for the moments that we can see and encourage one another using these platforms. And I was thinking, some of you have told us that you feel more connected to us than ever because we're speaking directly to you up close and personal. However, since we can't see you, we aren't feeling quite as connected. So keep sending us emails and invite us to have virtual coffee with you. We would love that. We would love to see you face to face. Today we are in the first few verses of 2 Timothy. If you have a Bible, I invite you to get it and to open it up to 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 14. All of our pastors preach out of the NRSV, so that is the translation that we're in, and we will look at that in a moment. In the letter that we open today, Paul is writing from prison. Before we go further, I want us to stop. Until the 1700s, it was believed, due to church tradition, that Paul indeed wrote this letter by his own hand. And then some scholars began questioning whether or not this was true, mostly because the characteristics of the writing is different than the other books Paul wrote. And there are some different words that he didn't use before. So many scholars now believe that this letter was written by a secretary that Paul was dictating to, or perhaps by a community of people close to him who penned it after his death as a way to cement his legacy. Now, no one knows for certain who wrote it. So before we go further, I want to say that we are going to take these words as being from Paul to his close friend, Timothy, because whoever wrote them meant for them to be read this way. This is still the inspired word of God and nothing in them would be sentiments that Paul would not say himself. The ideas found here are consistent with everything that he believed and taught, even if the phrasing is different or the words are not usual for him. So let's begin again. At the end of his life, Paul is in prison once more. Mr. Fun, I mean Mark Bates, told us about the first time the apostle was arrested. There are two other times it's recorded that Paul is imprisoned after that, both in Rome. The first time it was a house arrest and relatively comfortable while the wheels of justice turned slowly. He was freed and then he was rearrested sometime later under circumstances we don't know. It is believed for this last incarceration, he is someplace in an underground Roman jail which mostly served as holding cells until the time of execution. I was thinking about how in prison everything gets stripped down to basics. I picture him alone in a dark 
dingy room, devoid of any comfort. He says that he was in chains like a criminal, suffering from loneliness, boredom, and the starkness of life behind bars. He had already had a preliminary case and was awaiting a full trial, but Paul is not expecting to be acquitted. So he believes this is it, the end for him. And after 35 years of ministry, his message to Timothy is how the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is worth everything. Paul himself, at one time, had been a leader in a movement to destroy the work of Christ. Now he himself will be martyred for that same faith. There were plenty of enemies who wanted to destroy Christianity. Yet, as history has shown, the gospel will not die. It goes on. This is the message of our scripture today. Paul is saying, even in the most depressing, the most dire circumstances, the gospel brings life. It perpetuates life. It saves life. The good news of Jesus is all about life. Paul is reminding us that the true gospel is centered on Christ. When everything else is ripped away, Jesus is there. When nothing makes sense, he is present. When we can't figure out how to act or what to anchor our hope in, Jesus is able to hold everything that we hold dear with his love. So hear the word of the Lord from 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle 
and a teacher, and for this reason I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. Amen. The word of the Lord. The two books of Timothy, along with the book of Titus, are known as the pastoral epistles. They are often grouped together because they are written to individuals, not churches. And because they give counsel on how to deal with shepherding the church in terms of organization and policies, as well as raising up leaders. Second Timothy is a letter about faithful endurance and encouragement for the one who will be carrying on this work. Paul expresses how he longs to see Timothy again. For the last 15 years, Timothy has been Paul's loyal companion through most of the second and third missionary journeys. Paul calls him a fellow worker in the faith. And in Philippians 2 says, I have no one like him. Along the way, Paul leaves Timothy to care for the church at Ephesus as the pastor. It's natural that Paul would now turn to Timothy as a key leader in whom he can entrust the work of the gospel in his absence. It is always important for us to think about who we are raising up to come after us. We see a farewell blessing here as well as the obvious handoff to do the work. Our main idea is how the gospel brings life. Paul's message here is that the gospel represents life because it mirrors it in three specific ways. The first point is found in verses 1 through 5. Like life, the gospel is relational. We see this in the very first verse, where Paul says that he is an apostle for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, his Savior. Central to the good news of God is the relationship we have with the risen Lord. Paul is thankful and says Christ has given him the authority to proclaim the message of life. We put our faith not in a doctrine, not in a set of beliefs, not in an institution, but in the Messiah who has invited us to follow him. We see more relationship in the second verse as Paul calls Timothy his beloved child in the faith. We are born and then we are born again. And in order for life to be nurtured, there has to be help. We raise up children physically and spiritually. I had so many who invested in my life in Christ. What a gift these people are to the faith. The sentiment here is quite heartfelt. Paul is saying how much joy he has in remembering Timothy. Dr. Robert Gundry says that when you pray, 
And when you give thanks for others, as Paul is doing here, the memories of those people and your relationship with them come flooding back to you. Love fosters memory. And I would add how good memories foster love. Paul is recalling the strong bond he has with Timothy that's grounded in their Savior, Jesus Christ, who is between them forever. Paul then reminds his friend about the faith which was alive in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Timothy has been given a gift of having the gospel sown deep in the soil of his heart from his family of origin. We don't come usually to the faith by ourselves. Our roots get planted somewhere along the way often in our earliest years. So often in the church, the focus of the work is on those who are ordained. Yet the home is the best place for children to learn about the love of Jesus and be raised up to know him all their days. This is where the life-giving spiritual practices can be taught and where kids can see what it means firsthand to trust in the Lord. If you are parenting right now in this unique time of being home every day, what does that look like for your family? We don't have to be perfect parents, but let's try to be ones who talk to our children about the importance of the faith in good and painful times. This is one really great way to learn who God is and what it looks like to know him. I love it that Paul talks about Timothy's early spiritual influences because it reminds us how important they are. We celebrate Mother's Day today because of their huge influence in our lives. So let us make the most of these days of being at home to instill in our children and our teenagers how to cultivate an intentional life with God that is full of curiosity and trust and love. The gospel is relational. Now let's talk about how, like life, the gospel is meant to be bold which we find in verses six through 10. Pay attention to verse six, which says, for this reason. Because Timothy has been given such a strong beginning, he should seek to keep the flame of the gift of God alive, which he also received when Paul laid his hands on him. Timothy's ministry was born out of more relationship. Yet Paul is using this opportunity to emphasize how God has given Timothy a spirit of power and love and self-discipline, not cowardice. We might naturally focus here on the power part, but think about how much courage it takes to love as God commands us. Consider how much harder it is for us to be people of self-discipline rather than giving in to whatever seems good to do at the moment. 
He has given us the means to daily live fearlessly for him. We wonder if, as suggested in some of Paul's writings, Timothy is naturally shy or an introvert, and this is why Paul is encouraging him here. Maybe not everyone who goes into ministry is a daring extrovert, and the church shouldn't expect that. But what we see here is how Paul believes in Timothy. That's valuable as Timothy goes on to carry out the ministry. But verse 8 shows us a different issue. Timothy is told to not be ashamed of what Jesus has endured. To not be ashamed that Paul is in chains. Here, Paul is naming a hard truth that we can be afraid of being associated with those who have failed, those who are in trouble. And we certainly don't want to get too close where we might end up like them. After Jesus was arrested, Peter lied so that people wouldn't think that he was with him. I was even thinking about how Abraham lied about being Sarah's husband so it would go better for him. We get afraid that we are going to lose something that we have, such as a good reputation, or material gain, or physical safety, or our very life. Timothy has been working with Paul for a long time. He knows what's at stake. Paul is reminding Timothy how the gospel is worth the life that we have here. This is something we all have to decide. Jesus warns us that we can't simultaneously have everything we want on earth and the life he has for us. We have to choose. In many places, Christianity is not seen as a good thing. It's seen as a threat. It's seen as harmful. It's seen as outdated. We may face social death, yet all over the world, people face the loss of so much more. It's not easy to get into the place where we understand and accept that faith in Jesus is not about us. It's not. We have to keep reminding ourselves about this because the message all around us is how our choices in life have to work for us. We have to feel good about our choices. But we're called by Jesus to live without embarrassment and with great boldness for his gospel. If we are ashamed of Christianity, then we are ashamed of the Savior. Again, Paul is in prison, stripped down of all of the trappings of religion and anything that he has relied on to get him through. So he's just calling out what is essential. And we should listen. He invites Timothy to join him in suffering for the gospel. The way of Jesus is suffering. We should expect that. We shouldn't run from that or hide from that. We have a suffering Messiah who tells us that that is what is our fate as well. This is what being a Christian is about. We rely 
on the God who has brought his saving grace to those who trust him, who trust him. Again, not about ourselves. Jesus has abolished death to give us the true gift of knowing him. Paul is saying, if you have received the Lord with gladness, then go and live out loud for him. Because his life is the only one that matters anyway. Yeah, there's going to be hardship. This is what is meant by the verses that say, you have been bought with a price and you are no longer your own. Amen and amen. In Romans, Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. At the end, Paul is saying he wouldn't have changed a thing. Timothy, take up the mantle of boldness. And I would say to you, church, don't be afraid to allow God to use you in powerful ways to bring the light of the Savior into dark places. Many of you are doing that every single day. Some of you are terrified to do that. And Paul is saying to all of us, be bold. Go and live out loud. Jesus wasn't ashamed to go to the cross for you. He wasn't ashamed to be spit on and to be crucified. He wasn't ashamed. He did it for you. So what is it that Jesus wants you to do for him? Suffering for the gospel is not dishonorable, nor is it a failure. The gospel brings life from death, and God wants all those who believe in him to be part of this work with him. Jesus has vanquished death. We are still celebrating Easter tide. There's a cost when we go and we embody the gospel. Paul is saying he would rather know Jesus and die boldly for him than to not know him and live for himself. Here's our third and final thought found in verses 11 through 14. Like life, the gospel is meant to be protected. After his conversion, Paul was appointed to proclaim the truth of Jesus, he says. And although there is suffering for those who follow the God who died on the cross, Paul himself again says he is not ashamed of it. While he would probably rather not be in prison, he has clarity about why he is there and whom he serves. Paul is trusting the one who was also arrested and knows soon he will follow in Jesus' footsteps to martyrdom. He has trusted Jesus with his life and will shortly be living out the reality of what he professed because God is faithful. Timothy is told to guard the gospel. It is a good treasure that is entrusted to those who believe. So while Paul is talking about what he himself has trusted God with, he is also urging Timothy to safeguard the trust passed on to him. In both cases, the word here is parathake, which means a deposit committed into someone else's hands. We might put money in the bank. Or maybe we give a friend something valuable for safekeeping. 
we may ask someone we rely on to watch our children. In all of these, we are trusting another for something which is very important to us, something we don't want to be lost or harmed in any way. In the ancient world, there was no more sacred duty than the safeguarding of such a deposit and giving it back upon the owner's return. Paul is telling Timothy to guard the gospel against those who would steal it or pollute it or damage it or water it down into something that it wasn't meant to be. The gospel, like life, is meant to be protected. What does this mean for us? Honestly, it means that we continue to surrender our will, that we continue to seek time with the Lord and in the scriptures that we have been given in the way that God commands us. It means that we stay close to Jesus, trusting that he is Lord of the church, that this is his work. He will tell us personally how to move forward. He will show us corporately what it means to be his body. He's done this for centuries. It means that we receive from those who come before us what discipleship is. And it means that we hand off the work to others who will faithfully do the same. We are reminded here of the Holy Spirit who lives in us to accomplish this work. Amen. So let us look to the Spirit to be our standard for the stewardship, the stewardship of the gospel of Christ. Our lives have been pretty stripped down for the last few weeks. Don't we all feel in some way like we have been under house arrest? In this time, we have been able to see what is essential. If we've been paying attention, we should be able to say with certainty what we care most about. So what is your gospel? What is the good news that you focus in on? Some people say saving animals is their religion or being outside is their church. For others, the best news they have is their children or they live for their job or their favorite exercise. These are all fine things, but none of them are going to save us. May we never confuse the temporary for the eternal. And for those who don't think that there is more after this life or even that they need to be saved, remember that Jesus came to give more than that. There is more to his gospel than that. His love is necessary and rich and deep now. The hope and purpose he gives brings meaning each day. He endows each person with dignity and worth as our maker. This is central to our understanding of life and how we treat one another, how we stand up for one another when injustices occur. His truth is what we long for in a place so full of lies, where even the most simple idea can get twisted into something it is not. We need an eternal Savior who's a compass 
to hold on to, who we know can be trusted. His saving grace is for now. What is most important to you? May it be the life-giving good news of Jesus, who is our creator and savior and sustainer and eternal king. And may his life nourish every part of who we are, readying us for all that is ahead. He knows we don't. So we look to him for strength to live in these days. With Paul, may we live with abandon for Christ, whose grace was given to us before the ages began. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.